You're listening to Dancing Around Elephants, a podcast that talks to dancers about the elephant in the room, dance injuries. I'm Dr. Danelle Dixon, a dancer turned physical therapist, and I currently work with dancers to work past their challenges and access the next level in their dance careers. I'm sitting down to talk with dancers about their journey, their injuries, and how they are successfully navigated past the elephant in the room. But I'm going a bit further. I want to talk about all the elephants in the dance room and shed some light on the things that affect many dancers that we seldom talk about. My goal is to change the way that we approach injuries and issues in the dance community, and it all starts with a conversation. Let's get started. Hey everyone, we are continuing our conversation with Miss Tamisha Guy. If you have not checked out part one, please check it out. This lady is full of surprises and I think you really enjoy this conversation. So we're diving into part two. We have so much more to learn from this amazing artist. So let's get right to it. So tell us, what, do you, what would you encourage dancers to pursue that would help them to stay injury-free based on your experience? Based on my experience, I would say what is the three essential um, points, adequate warm-up for yourselves, knowing exactly what you are being asked of in your rehearsal day and, and warming up your body enough so you're able to just bring yourself to your day. I would say also eating what you're eating is very important because, you know, often we're in rehearsals for six or eight hours and it's important what we're feeding our bodies. And third, cross-training, conditioning, you know, and it may take some time sort of figuring out what works for each individual, but I think take that time and it can be fun. You know, I don't think cross training has to be something where you're like, oh my gosh, I have to do this thing that is hard, you know? And at first it might feel a little daunting, but I think just know that it's all supposed to sort of help you in your careers. So cross training, adequate warm up, and what you're fueling your body in terms of food. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And it's such a good point to really talk about the idea that um, cross-training doesn't have to be this thing that you got to do, like one more workout, one more thing. For the times that, you know, when I was actively dancing, when I was my most fittest, I did tennis and I did swimming. Nothing entirely to do with dance, but it's something I just enjoyed movement and I enjoyed being phys- the physicality of it. And it made me so efficient and effective in dancing. And it was almost a way for my brain to offload what I had to do in dance so that when I came in, I was super focused and prepared to really get to the task of what is hand. And if you guys are doing amazing choreography, like I'm sure Miss Tanisha has done, you need your mind to be clear for that stuff. You know, you can't be worrying about you know, like the perfection of the repetition over time is important, but you also have to have a very mental clarity in order to now translate that into expression on what needs to happen on stage. So I think that's such valuable information. So let's talk about what dancers need to be successful. We talked about our bodies. What three things in general do you think dancers need to be successful in terms of pursuing a successful career? I would say, 
and I often share this, like having sort of an openness to what comes, you know, and trying to also bring yourselves to each moment. You know, we sort of touched on presence and sort of being present in each moment. I think that's just really important always, you know, and that can also prevent injury. You know, if you're being present in the moment, you're only focusing on what you're doing in that present moment and not sort of what, you know, you might be doing later or thinking of anything Mm -hmm. else. And, you know, going, I guess, a little to the other side of things, but knowing that you bring value to the spaces that you're going to occupy. I think I share that a lot with younger dancers because there's often this idea of wanting to be, you know, accepted by the people at the front of the room. But I think it's really important to know that you add value to that space, you know? And what often helped me, just a little story, when I was auditioning was, thinking that I too was auditioning the people at the front of the room, you know, because you have to think about if you want to be in that space. And that often helped me to sort of, you know, let go of any anxiety that I was feeling. So I would say that is a big one for me. And a third is in terms of being a, and, you know, we said success is is different for everyone, but in terms of sort of, being in a dance space or even freelancing, whatever sort of form of dancing you're doing, just knowing that you have the power to advocate for yourselves, you know? Yeah. And that is a huge one for me. And guys, if you know me, you know, I'm a big fan of self-advocacy, specifically with dancers in this genre where we are taught to be quiet. We're taught to be silent. We're taught to be submissive and whatever the choreographer says goes. And there is a way to stand out and to be bold and to be self-resilient and to still be a team player, still be an amazing dancer, still be an asset to the team and the room and the production and the show. There is space for all of those to happen in the same space. And I think dancers need to really explore what that looks like more because the, the more that we shrink away from using our voice, and, and, and using these opportunities to advocate for ourselves is the more that we allow the proliferation of unhealthy spaces, as we all know and how that can happen in the dance world. So it's really up to us as individual dancers to monitor and to self-correct the environments that we're putting ourselves in to make sure that it's the right environment for us, but also for other dancers that are looking up to you that may need you to set the example of what's expected in that space. So I I love everything that you said. All right. So I'm going to ask you some futuristic stuff now. (laughs) All right. So what is the one thing you think that could be done to change the way injuries impact dancers as performing artists and take us as a dance, as a dance, as a dance world to the next level? Yeah. Oh, that's a large one, but that's a great question. (laughs) So I've been thinking about, you know, we should talk about cross-training and I'm not sure if there are any sort of arts institutions that have a cross-training fund in place, but I sort of, I would push for that, you know, for institutions to sort of have a cross-training fund that way their dancers can cross-train when they're working and when they're in their off time, 
And I think in terms of managing injuries, that can definitely be a game changer. And, you know, it's more money, sure. But I think if it's supporting the whole artist, then it's definitely something worth investing in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that you went straight to cross training. So why cross training and not more class? So, you know, company class is usually offered. It's either a ballet class, you know, maybe it's a contemporary modern class, depending on the company that you're in. So those classes are already offered. So what, can, what else can we sort of add to the mix that can um, support artists as well? Awesome. And I think cross-training is it. All right. I love it. And what do you think is the most important issue that we're facing in the dance world right now? Lunch for pearls. Yeah, I think what I would say, you know, I have a great respect for what arts administrators and arts curators and leaders of organizations are doing in this present moment, because I think it's a really pivotal time. And I think what I'm seeing is organizations sort of having more transparent conversations with their artists about what has been working and what hasn't been working. And there's been sort of a step in a direction for some change. And I would say more, more of that, you know, we're sort of due for a transformation of the playbook, so to speak. And I think now is the time to to do that. But I would always advocate for better working conditions, for equity, for benefits, and not only for dancers who are within sort of a a more stable, maybe stable is not the right word, but a company that's working more frequently, but mainly for freelance dancers, you know, dancers who are working on a 1099 basis, who don't have benefits, who don't have equity, sort of getting those artists more support in that way. But I definitely see a shift on the horizon. And I just hope that once we're able to convene in spaces again, that these transparent conversations continue. Because I think we've realized how much we need each other, right? Um, And how much we can just offer to one another. So more talking, more listening, and more action for sure. So I'm going to hold your toes to the fire a little bit here. Okay. Direct us to what, what do, what specifically do we need to talk about? Do we need, is it equity that we need to talk about? Is it specifically support or are there other things that's really at the forefront that needs to be talked about that will make a definitive change for artists? I think there is, there are a lot of factors that, you know, we need to sort of talk about. And I think equity is at the top of, of the, the list of things. And that may look different in each institution, but mm-hmm. I think the conversation of equity has to be had because I don't think it has, it's happened before. I, I honestly don't think so, you know, and someone who I'm definitely fairly new to the field in a sense, you know, eight years in it is time, you know, it's still time. But I think even speaking to artists that I look up to, the conversation of equity it just hasn't been something that's been brought to the table. So I think that's definitely the first thing. But, you know, safer working conditions is also up there with equity. Um, so, Definitely. yeah. So going back to equity, are we talking 
about opportunity equity? Are we talking about racial equity? Are we talking about pay equity? What are we talking about exactly? All three. (laughs) All three. Yes, racial equity, pay equity, like all, you know, and it's a big conversation. I think we know that, but the only way to sort of move forward together in a conducive way, I think is to have those hard conversations. And I think they're starting to happen, you know, might make you sweat a little bit, but that's all right. You know, as long as we're having those conversations, I think we can definitely work towards a more equitable future. Awesome. And then in terms of this equity, what would you like to see done differently or change? I'm always pushing for higher wages. Okay. Why is that important for dancers? I think it's important because dancers need to live, you know, equal, just simply put cost of living increases each year. So I think our wages should as well. You know, inflation is also something that we have to factor in. So there are all these things that I'm not sure if if it's thought about, but I know that it's definitely affecting artists. And I think artists should be able to live comfortably as well. You know, I don't think artists should sort of be forced to not be comfortable. I think I want artists to be comfortable, you know, and be able to sort of focus on your art and not think about how you're going to eat, where you're going to live, you know, so you can solely just bring yourself fully to your work. And I think higher wages can definitely take a lot of that sort of stress away. Yeah. I secretly think the dramatic flair that stresses of life brings to the autistic table is something that the, probably the dance community has lived on for quite a while that we could probably do without, yeah. you know, because it really starts facilitating and opening the doors for so many of the things, you know, when we're talking about people that can't afford rent or can't afford um, to feed themselves because of the pay that they're getting, you know, what sort of habits and what sort of lifestyle changes now need to happen in order for that to happen. You know, what happens when your dance career is over? What happens when you get sidelined because of an injury and you don't have a nest egg because you never got paid that much anyway? What happens next? You know, so there's all of these questions that I, I think really needs to be talked about. And I'm all for poking at, at doors and, and, and fences and invisible lines. So who's holding the money? Because there's money in the arts. It, it won't be going on if, if there's, we, we won't be here. Let, let, let's, let's be honest. We won't be here if there was not money in the performing arts. It's being held somewhere. Who has I agree. Money? Where is the money going? If it's not going to the artists, who has it? Who, who we, who's those we got to knock on? <laughs> right. I have those same questions. And I agree. I often say that I'm, I, I'm preaching. There's money out there. Mm-hmm. There is money out there, you know, and we probably just haven't as artists individually figured out how to get that money. But I think institutions can, they have the resources to do that research. Right. And I think they often have the support as well. So you can figure it out. Yeah. I I definitely agree with you. I think, I think institutions hold a lot of that money. They make a lot of those financial decisions. They decide where funds go, but more importantly, they decide who gets paid what, 
and you know they also pay themselves there's also that so we we gotta we gotta start really peeling apart as you said the equity the the, the equity value of what a dancer brings to the table in a production versus a manager or a producer or an artistic director all of these things because there there needs to be equity for the people that are at the bottom of the pyramid holding the top up you know without that base there's there's no there's no pinnacle so we have to really really start having different conversations about what that looks like how dancers can um, advocate for themselves and having uncomfortable conversations as you said about how we can change a structure to allow dancers to have a living wage and to not have to go work at Chipotle after 35 because they got injured and they can't dance anymore. Imagine that. And I tell my dancers this all the time. Think of a sport where you start training at three, you wait at least 15 years at least minimum before you can even make a professional, you know, a professional gig where you're actually paid and that you can get sidelined at an injury at any time. It's not guaranteed and that your career lasts maybe 10 years. And, and I'm not saying that there aren't people who are dancing for 20, 30 years. They are. But average. Yeah. How long a dancer's lasting? Average. How long a dancer's training? You know, there's a reason why, as, as you said earlier in your conversation, you know, like, you know, you know, in different cultures in the Caribbean, we push to for jobs that are paid better because dancers are not paid. So we're like, all right, where's the money? Let's go there. You know, it's, it's something, it's really a passion project that, goes through your entire life but what if it didn't have to be a passion project what if you can actually dance and get paid exactly. what does that look like exactly and I'm interested to know <laughs> you know and I've definitely been fortunate to be in a company you know aim that has supported us you know throughout this pandemic and I think throughout my time with the company which is eight years now and you know, I want that to sort of be the, the standard in a sense. And, you know, each company has work to do, you know, not saying that we're a perfect institution, but Mm -hmm. I think definitely they support their artists in the best way that they can. And I think that's why I push for higher wages, you know, and not only just giving dancers more money, but I think also teaching dancers how to manage their money. And I'm also really passionate about that too. You know, I'm actually working on a workshop that can, you know, teach dancers more about financial literacy. So I want to definitely bring in professionals to have conversations about budgeting, about investing, about taxes. I think it's, Mm -hmm it's necessary, you know, and I'm hoping this program, well, this program will be for pre-professional and professional artists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You have to tell us more about it so we can get the word out. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Okay. So what is a dream of yours that we should look out for? So I would say more so goal would be this workshop that I just mentioned. And, you know, I'm hoping to sort of get things moving soon. I think it's also important during this time, you know, where people are sort of like on their computers and they're at home to sort of give them all of the the information that they need for when they're able to sort of convene or audition again. Mm -hmm. And you know, also working on other like entrepreneurial ventures. But for the most part, I'm just, 
you know, taking it day by day, just feeling completely grateful to be able to just continue working and being Mm -hmm. able to sustain myself during this time. Yeah. Awesome. Any of those entrepreneurial stuff that you're able to share with us so we can get excited for you and with you? Not at the moment, (laughs) but I will share once I have a bit more of the information solidified. Good, good. We're looking out for it. So what's next for Tamisha Guy? What is next? Hmm. I just want to continue, I think, living my life unapologetically and just doing more of what I want to do, honestly. I think in this season, it sort of showed me how important it is to make myself a priority. Mm -hmm. And I just want to keep sort of going on that road. Got it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So we are down to our our quick round where I'm just going to shoot out a question (laughs) and you're just going to tell me your answer. So quick round, your favorite dance move. Mm, The Dougie. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh my God. That was so funny. I love it. Your favorite performance. My favorite performance, it was favorite performance. Ooh, the year is escaping me, but AIM, we performed in Sevilla, Spain, and it was in this beautiful outdoor space. Yeah, that was my favorite performance. Love it. Your favorite dancer and why? Just one. <laughs> pick. all right two I'll give you two <laughs> okay wow oh my wow two favorite dancers hmm that is okay I would say I can say two people who I love to watch dance which is basically the same thing that I'm rewording <laughs> um but I love watching a brother of mine such a good friend, Malik Washington. He's one of my favorite dancers to watch. And <laughs> I'm like, dancers, why are they escaping me? <laughs> oh man, Tanisha, you can do this. A, no, you don't have to think of the favorite dancer. A. I know, I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. And really enjoy. Mm. Connie Shao. All right. I will take it. Okay. Best dance injury resource for those ladies out there that are listening to you. Ladies and gents that are listening to you. Resource. I would say, I think... I would say just because they're, I'm thinking of them right now, but I would say, I know dance magazine often they have like articles that talk about just everything. So I would say they're sort of a good place to go. And the second resource, it's called the dancers, <laughs> it's called the dancers resource at the actors. Fund. And I want you to finish this question or the sentence, I should say, I wish I could fly. <laughs> I love it. 
completely unconventional. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, Demisha, a parting word of advice and how can dancers connect with you? Parting word of advice, I would say always stay true to yourself. And know that you, whatever you have to offer is always going to be good enough. And you can follow me on Instagram at Tamisha Guy or check out my website at TamishaGuy.com. It was lovely to have you. Thank you so, so, so much for sharing your wisdom, your experiences, all of your positive thoughts and all of the goals that you want for the dance world with us. We are there dreaming with you. We are there pushing with you in our individual spheres. And thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And yeah, I look forward to just more of this exchange. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dancing Around Elephants. I would love if you can share this podcast and leave a review. People that leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms that take just 60 to 90 seconds to show some love and give context to others about why this conversation is important means the world. Thank you in advance. I appreciate you. Do you want resources to start becoming the best dancer that you can be? Click on the link and access Dr. D's Dance Toolbox. So many amazing tools, including my signature program, Dance Bridge Online, to get you bulletproof from dance injuries. Also, if you know of a dancer that you'd like me to interview for this podcast, shoot me a message at info at 3ptdc.com and share your thoughts. Catch you next time.